Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Hi, my name is Ruthie, and would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We are going to read Revelation 5, 1 through 5. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was, there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe, tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Glory be to God. Man, I'm telling you what, it's a little dangerous to put a microphone on me with that type of music after watching Georgia football destroy Kentucky, watching Florida lose in dramatic fashion, and watching the Braves come through in the bottom of the ninth inning, Austin Riley. I am jacked up. I hope you guys are too. I'm ready to run through a wall. And you're like, who is this crazy guy that just starts yelling at 9.30 in the morning? Well, my name is Brandon Daniel, and just a little bit about me, because I know a lot of you are like, I don't know who this guy is, and you shouldn't, because I'm not here very often, but I have been here a lot in my life. As guys said, we, my family, we started attending Eastridge when I was five years old, so it is 30 years later now, and I'm still a part of this church community, and it's a blessing to be here. I spend most of my time at the South Campus. I was the student pastor and assistant campus pastor there for about four or five years, and my family and I, we still attend there. Uh, I work, uh, left full-time vocational ministry and work for a company called Capstone, but um, I'm still a part of this church community, still a part of this church family, and I am so excited to be here with you guys this morning. Um, Clearly, the reason that Scott has me up here is because A, it's fall break, and B, there's no music really, a whole lot of lead up into the sermon. So he said, I don't want to do this. So he said, he asked me to come do it. But I am here because I love you guys and I am excited to be here. So have you guys ever been, just as we kind of jump into this, and, I, and even before I get to it really, I, this Revelation series, I listened to it and I immediately texted Kurt and, and another friend of ours and I said, man, y'all have to listen to the series. And I said, and you really need to talk to somebody at Eastridge. We need to do this. And he said, actually, Trey's already working on that. And so then I immediately texted Gary and I said, hey, if you don't mind, I would love to, to speak or, or preach one of these messages. And so here I am getting to do it here. I'll get to do it a few times at Jackson Lake. This series is powerful. It's, it's amazing. And I'm telling you, for a kid that grew up in the 90s, read the Left Behind books, every last one of them, 
And then I actually just reread them and cringed through the whole thing. This has been a, a, just a tall drink of water of, of the richness of the book of Revelation. And so I hope you guys have enjoyed the first couple of weeks. And, and so we're going to dive in, into, into this, as, as, uh, and, and I hope that you guys will just come along this journey with us over the next several weeks. Um, have you ever been to a place that you just knew it was different? Every now and then we get to go somewhere and you go to a place and, and the minute you step foot there, you just know it's different. You know it's a different place. You get there and, and, it, and it humbles you and just amazes you. I, I've, I've been in, in places like that before and the one that jumps out the most happened to me a, a little over 11 years ago. I got to take a road trip across the country uh, there was a summer after I had, I had worked full-time for a year out of college. I had saved some money. I was getting ready to start graduate school in the fall. Um, they had to replace me in my, my full-time job that I had. And so it was kind of like, all right, well, you got a summer. You got a, you got a little bit of a break. What, why not do something? So I said, I'm going to drive across the country. And so that's what I did. And, and one of the places that I ended up was the Grand Teton Mountains in Yellowstone National Park. Has anybody in this room been there before? Anybody experienced it? All... I could say the whole time was wow. Just wow. I, I was blown away. It was breathtaking. Every bend as I drove up and through and into Yellowstone, I pulled off and took a picture. I, I'm not exaggerating. I pulled over every minute or two and just stopped and, and just admired and took pictures and just, just was in awe of what I saw. I got a glimpse, just the, and it was the same stuff. Listen, I made fun of my mother-in-law. I don't know if she'll end up watching this, but I made fun of my mother-in-law when we were driving through Shenandoah National Park because she just kept taking pictures of the same valley because it's just one road, you know, you just either a little bit further up, a little bit further down. It's the same thing, just from different elevations. But every bend in Yellowstone, it was like you got just a little bit different glimpse of the majesty of the Grand Tetons and, and the breathtaking beauty of everything. And, and I just, I kept pulling over. I kept just being in awe. It, it, was, it was almost overwhelming. And I knew when I, when I was there, I knew in that moment that I was not, that was not the same. Like when you see stuff like that, it, it changes you. It sticks with you. And even to this day, 11 years later, I can remember every feeling that I had, every, every little visual. Like as even as I talk, all the pictures are flashing in my mind. And here's the thing. Th this kind of stuff happens to us spiritually as well. Have you ever walked into a room like this before and just hyper aware that, that this place, the moment, there was something different about it? There was something fundamentally different about where you were and, and, and how you, you just walking through the doors, it just, everything changed. The, the, the mood shifted. You knew that this was not going to be an experience that you can walk away the same as when you came in. And if you're a believer here today, if you're sitting in here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know this well. You likely know this well and have experienced this many times. It's definitely happened to you at least once, because otherwise you wouldn't be a believer. I grew up in this church, like I said. I've grown from kindergarten until now. I'm raising my kids in this church. And it's because of rooms like this, with people like this, because I knew they were different. I can remember that when I, when I came in as a little kindergartner and being around the people at then Grace Fellowship Church and just when people ask me about my conversion story, because here's the truth, I don't really, because we came at such a young age, I really don't remember a life apart from the church. I, I don't have conscious recollection of that. And so when I, when I think about my, my conversion, when I think about becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, what sticks out to me is the people, the, the people like, like Pastor Scott, that, that I knew just being around them, that they were different. They were fundamentally different, and I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to know who they were. I wanted to knew, know what they knew, and I wanted to be who they were. 
And I can remember the room. It was years after I became a Christian because, like I said, I was baptized in kindergarten. I was baptized at about six years old. But as a young follower, as is a rite of passage for many young people, and if you grew up in the church and you, you became a follower at a young age, you know that, that, that summer season is the rededication season. You just have these moments, you know, where you just, all these great things happen. You're at camps or conferences or all the different things, and, and you just, I, I got to rededicate my life to Jesus. I got to rededicate my life to Jesus. And I, and I had those moments, and I can remember the room that I was in. It was, it was at Big Stuff in Panama City Beach, and I remember thinking, because people were rushing up, you know, just teenagers crying everywhere. It's just part of youth ministry. It's just, it's the summer rite of passage. And you guys laughing over there, you know, you know, all right? And, and so I, I, I realized, I, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, I did this already probably six or seven times, and I'm 13 years old. When does it stop? And I remember that moment, and that holy moment, and God saying, Brandon, you're you're, you're always going to feel the need. Like, this is an everyday thing. You talk about rededication. It's really repentance, and repentance is supposed to happen every day. He said, I, I remember the moment, and it was like, you're good. And, and at that moment, I did what my, my youth pastor, Greg Miller, would always say. He, I settled the issue. Like, the issue was settled to me. I remember that room. And I remember because I got to see and experience the presence of our Savior. And many of you have those same moments you remember. Many of you are probably playing over in your mind those moments, those holy moments. And many of us can remember what it was like before you had those moments. Many of you sitting here today, maybe you remember being in those rooms and looking around and seeing those people and like, I, I don't know what this is. I, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like they have an invitation that I don't have. I feel like, like that there's, there's just something that, that they have that I don't and, and you feel maybe a little lost and that, and that little lostness started to prod you and maybe you didn't know why but you kept showing up and you kept showing up and you kept looking and you kept observing and seeing and eventually the Lord kept working on your heart and you came to believe in him and maybe some of you sitting here today, you're in the midst of that but wherever you are, we're gonna see today and explore what these moments are and, and what they're based in and why it matters. Because what we're doing is we're looking at the first window, the first part of the revelation that John saw. This, this very first one, remember we, t- we talked at the beginning. Pastor Scott, Kurt, they brought up, like we, we talked that, that it's not so much about, uh, about chronological order. That's not something that the ancient world was really concerned with. They weren't concerned about, about making sure. See, in, in our Western philosophy, our Western world, we're very linear people. We're very fact-based people. And listen, I love me some good facts, all right? All right facts don't care about your feelings. Like, I, I, I'm with you guys when it comes to that logic, reason, all that stuff matters. But the, the ancient people of Scripture, that stuff didn't really matter as much to them. Right? There's a reason that the Bible is written in, in so much narrative form and in so much poetry and, and, that, and that Jesus taught in parables. It's because in the ancient world, they, they were people of story. They were people of, of imagery. And so what we're opening, this, this very first window, as we, as we look at some of these, these intense scenes, you've got to hold on to this, that, that John's primary concerns were the, not the how and the when of everything that's going on, which that usually ends up being our, our main things, like, like how and when. We want to know that stuff. Now, John's concerns are the who and the why, the who it is about and the why it is that it's happening. And always remember when you read Scripture that, that these, these words were written not to us, but they are for us, right? And we have to dig down deep to understand exactly everything that's going on so that we can apply it to our lives and, and get get the richness that exists in Scripture with it. And that's what we're going to do this morning. 
And so if you got your Bibles, you can open up to, to Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation 4 and 5. But when it comes to just this first part, this Revelation 4, 1 through 6, I'm just going to kind of talk through this, this bit for you to kind of set the scene, because this is where John is. John finds himself in the throne room, in, in the inner sanctum of heaven, where, where Jesus Christ sits on his throne. And he's invited into this ultimate room with the, these colors abounding everywhere, a throne dawned with a jewel-like rainbow in the center of it all, white robes, gold crowns, thunder rolling and lightning flashing, fire blazing, a sea of glass like crystal, all honing in and accentuating this one throne, which is at the center of it all. And in this room, there are multiple other thrones, but everything is focused and centered on the one throne, the throne of Jesus Christ. And, and the, these other thrones, there was 24 of them, but, but um, everything, again, centered around the one. And each, each one has 24 elders sitting on it with a gold crown upon his head. And, and 24 is significant. That number 24, 12 stood for the 12 tribes of Israel. And the other 12 stood for the 12 apostles. It's the 12 Hebrew patriarchs and, and through whom God brought forth his salvation and the 12 apostles through whom God began his proclamation of the salvation to the world. Altogether, they represent God's redeeming work and initiative among humanity. That's what this represents. All of this sitting and focused on the one Jesus Christ. So that's the scene that we're at. And then in, in 7 through 11, uh, along with this throne room, you see these creatures with eyes and wings all over their bodies. This is the stuff of nightmare. Like we're coming up to Halloween, all right? This is nightmare type stuff. Just these winged creatures with a bunch of eyes everywhere. You describe this to you. This one you probably don't read as a bedtime story to your kids if you read any kind of scripture to them. All right, you don't read the, the picture of the throne room because you don't want them coming into your room at three o'clock in the morning like my kid did this morning and either terrified. He wasn't terrified. I just said, well, he's just... I just want to come in here, Dad. I'm like, all right, fine. I'm too tired to deal with it. Just come lay down. Um, and so you see these creatures, and he identifies these creatures as four individual beings, a lion, an ox, a human, and an eagle. And, and there's representation in that. Again, this is imagery. This is apo apocalyptic language. This isn't meant to awaken our senses to, to the battle that is going on. That is what John is seeking to do to his audience. And, and this isn't this is meant to, to uh, uh, just deep down inside resonate with this, this imagery. And so he's got these four creatures, the best of all creation. Is the lion not the noblest of all creatures, we think of the king of the we, we think of the king, we think of the lion. It's not the ox the strongest, the, the ox that has plowed fields and kept humanity alive over the course of centuries. The human, not the wisest, that the human, the pinnacle of creation, God's very top. Some of you might think you don't know my family, if you think wise, but you know, I, we're not here that. Oh, and overall, humanity set above creation as the wisest. Of creation and the eagle, not the swiftest. See, these things, all this stuff strength, wisdom, nobility, and swiftness, all the things of greatness that exist in this world, all bowing down and praising the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. John sees that day and night, these magnificent and terrible creatures never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the sound of their praise is giving glory, honor, and thanks to the one that sits on this throne. The 24 elders then take off and lay down their golden crowns. 
at the foot of the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And see, later, John sees that it's not just the elders and the creatures in this place, but thousands upon thousands of singing angels who are also being joined with the voices of every creature on heaven and on earth and under the earth and all that is in the sea, everything proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Because here's the thing, and, and, and we, I feel like we miss this sometimes when it comes to Revelation because of, of some... I think really bad theology and bad teaching over the course of really the 20th century. I don't know if you guys know this. I've done a lot of reading and listening and studying. And, and this type of, the thing that we most associate with Revelation, the left behind type thinking, that stuff really only really took root in Christianity in the 20th century. And I wonder why, because can you, there was nothing worse just about in modern history than the 20th century when you, you talk about the Nazis taking over Europe and, and the threat of nuclear war and all the things that come, that, that come crashing around. Like all this stuff happened and this, this theology began to take root. But we miss the point when we, when we boil it down to just that God, like they thought of God wiping everything out and pulling the church out and the, and the stuff that you miss the point because God's trying to redeem all of creation. He's trying to bring it all back to him. He's trying to make all things new. That's where the book of Revelation ends, not with everything wiped out and God starting over again. Listen, I don't think it's, it's un, not unintentional to me that you see the colors of the rainbow in this throne room in Revelation chapter 4 because a Hebrew that would have read this would have immediately been thinking of the promise that God made to Noah, that I will never again wipe out creation. I will never again start over. I will never again, I'm going to bring this thing back to me. That's what God is trying to do. And so what we see is all of creation submits to this throne. All of creation submits to this throne. All of creation is honing in on this throne and the one who sits upon it. It is the epicenter of all reality. And this is the place that worship brings us into. This is all about worship. Eugene Peterson, you might know him if, if any of you read the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson's most known for the message, but he's a very, very brilliant biblical scholar. He's written a lot of books. Uh, if you want to uh, read a book about like actually reading scripture, there's a book called Eat This Book that he wrote that's phenomenal. And, and this is what he writes. What he says, in worship, every sign of life and every impulse to holiness, every bit of beauty and every spark of vitality, Hebrew patriarchs, Christian apostles, wild animals, domesticated livestock, human beings, soaring birds are arranged around this throne center that pulses light, showing each at its best, picking up all the colors of the spectrum in order to show off the glories. Everything around this throne is as it rightly should be, as God intended it, beautiful and glorious. And that's what we should think about when we think of the book of Revelation, not not the things that have kind of warped the meaning, but we should associate more than just judgment, more than these things, but the redemption of creation with Revelation. The story of Scripture and the story that culminates with this book is that God is making everything right with him again. Everything, everything inch of creation is being made right with the creator himself. But it only happens in one place, around this throne. Because here's the thing, God's throne is ultimate and eternal reality. God's throne is ultimate and eternal reality. God's throne 
And therefore, the call and the response to submit to it is ultimate reality. Nothing is going to exist apart from this reality. It's not only future. Again, we think of revelation and we think of these things as being far off. Listen, this is happening right now as we speak in the center of heaven, this moment that John describes that he sees. It is going on. It is an ongoing present and future reality. And we are invited into it right now. We are invited into it every moment of every day. We don't necessarily see it with our eyes. At least I, I don't. Maybe some people do. If I were to see it with my eyes, I would probably ask to be checked in somewhere because that's not how I think. But we know in our hearts because of the gift of faith that, is uns- that this unseen throne room, that it is real, that is just as real as what we see before us today, if not more so. And we're invited into it. We're invited to what's called this, it's called a convergent space. Convergent is just a big word. It's a big word that means coming close together. And that's what the church is meant to be. That's what this room is meant to be. That is what we are meant to be in this world. We are meant to bring heaven into this world. It's not about escaping earth to get to heaven. It is about bringing heaven to earth. We serve a savior who stepped out of heaven into human history, and we are meant as the church to do the same. It's not about trying to get out of here as fast as we can. It's about bringing as much of heaven to this earth as we possibly can. We're invited to this convergent space where heaven and earth are colliding. Perhaps more and better than colliding, heaven and earth are harmoniously, peacefully, stably blending together into one voice which brings glory and honor and praise to the one God of all creation. This throne room is ultimate reality, and it brings forth harmony, peace, and stability when we submit to it. And that's the key, when we submit to it. Because that's where peace and stability come from. They come from submitting to this throne. Let me ask you a question. Would you say, if, if I were to ask you to describe your life, would peace and stability be one of the words that you would, or a couple of the words you would use to describe? My guess is no. Because our outside world is so chaotic most of the time that peace and stability are sometimes probably pretty far from our mind. But I'm not just talking about the outside. Maybe you can compartmentalize. Maybe you realize like all the craziness in the culture, all the craziness in the world. That's not, that's not my life. And you, and you were able to, to put that stuff aside. But, but I'm not talking about just the outside world and the outside peace and stability. I'm talking about the inside because you may be thrown curveball after curveball, but yet because your focus is on this convergent space, because your, your focus is on this throne, your person and character exudes peace and stability in the face of everything. That's what worship does. That's what worship is meant to be. That's how it brings peace and stability. Because you know who's on the center throne and your focus is on him. So would you say peace and stability characterize your life, your person, your character right now, in this moment? Is that something that you think you have? It can be. If your answer is no, it absolutely can be. I don't care what's going on in your personal world. Peace and stability can be a part of it. But only, only if your eyes are on this throne. Because the reason we miss out on this ultimate reality and the peace and the stability that it brings is because we have the tendency to set up our little 
baby thrones. We set up these little pathetic thrones and we sit on top of them and declare ourselves the ruler and then we try to direct everything around us to to serve our throne. That is what we do, to try and rule and reign over our own lives, setting up our kingdom against this one. And listen, I'm no different than you. I've experienced both the good part of this and the, and, and the, the bad part of this in my own life. I can remember... Again, one of those moments where I experienced the glory, the, the convergent space when it, when it comes to, to, to living with God and communing with God. I was at a conference when I was in college, and, and uh, about a month before that, Scott had called me and asked me about, uh, the East Church had started a campus down at Lake Oconee, and he had asked me about doing the youth and children, being the youth and children's pastor down there. And I told him no, because I was, I was the the youth pastor at a church up in Canton, and I, I really loved it. I loved the church. I loved the kids. I had just, just started there, really, a couple months before. And so I said, no. Well, I, I had the, one of those moments, one of those holy moments, one of these convergent moments, and, and this overwhelming, almost audible voice was telling him, call Scott, call Scott, call Scott. And so I did, and I called him. And so I, I, I had it set a, a part of a, a movement towards taking over this job, and so I had to resign the one that I had, which I, I struggled with. That was such a difficult decision because I had grown to love that place and love those, those teenagers. And I had to, and then some, some things happened at Eastridge, and a whole bunch of changes happened, and I was stuck in limbo, and I'm thinking, God, what, what did I just do? Like, I, I stopped a good job, and, and I thought this was where I was going, and now I'm just sitting here. I don't even know if I have a job. I don't know what I'm going to do this summer. I don't know what's going to happen, and and. And I, uh, but I just waited on the Lord. I, I trusted him. I said, I'm not in charge of this. I, know, I started with what I knew, which was, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I did what I was supposed to do. I was not thinking about this job anymore in this, in, in this urge to call Scott, like pushed, I mean, just invaded my thoughts. I knew that I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I'm telling you, by the end of that summer, I ended up being the middle school director here where I developed relationships with kids that exist to this day. I work next to some of them, and I get to watch them serve and, and be, a, be a part of the church at large and use their gifts and stuff. And I, and I got to be a small part of helping shape their faith, which is just an amazing privilege. And, and that place that I was worried about, because I was worried about the kids, worried about leaving, the guy that came in after me who I got to help recruit and replace me, he ended up baptizing dozens of kids at the end of that summer. God knows what he's doing. Listen, I, I've been on the bad side of this too. I can remember about to be married. Uh, we're co- coming up on, uh, we'll be married 11 years next year. We celebrate our 10-year anniversary. And so 11 years ago, I remember knowing, I'm getting ready to be married. I've got to get a job. I've got to find a full-time job. I was, work- I was a student. I was working on my master's degree, but I was like, I have to have a job because I have to support a family. I have to support a wife. I've got to do all these different things. And I did not bathe the decision in prayer. The first job that came to me that dropped in my life, I'm like, well, I needed a job. It's here. That's there's where it is. And so I'm just going gonna, gonna to take it. And I thought it was the right thing. But really what I was doing was living in my own fear and living, I was ruling my own life. I was sitting on my own throne and said, I don't really care God's opinion on this. I know what I need. I know what I think. And I'm going to take this job. And I'm telling you, my family was miserable for a, a year and a half. Not a good place. All right, it, it was not a good place to be. It was not a good, good, good environment. Listen, my wife, she's got some real church hurt in her, in her history, in her past. And I, I, because of my own desire to be the, the ruler of my own life and my own decisions, I thrust her into a situation where she had to experience some of those same things over and over again after literally having not really been involved in church for probably a decade. 
there are real consequences to when we try to take care of our own lives. When we won't just sit in the presence of the Lord and trust Him and let Him be on the throne to surrender our crowns, to lay it down and cast aside our puny little just fit-throwing thrones is really what it is. This I will not bow, I will take control, I know what I'm doing, and I will make this happen. And this is a constant battle for me. And I'll bet for some of you sitting here, it's a constant battle for you too. Edmund Clowney says it this way, without worship of God, we live manipulated and manipulating lives. We move in either frightened panic or deluded lethargy as we are in turn alarmed by specters and soothed by placebos. When we don't worship the one who sits on the throne and instead set up our own thrones, we have no peace. We are panicked or we're lethargic. We either running like this, 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 and just trying to, to keep it all together, or we just have no desire to do anything whatsoever, and we just muddle through life. We're constantly alarmed. I mean, just look at the past almost two years. Two years we've been dealing with this nonsense, this stuff in this world, and, and it's taking its toll. And so we're panicked and we're constantly angry or constantly argumentative. I could just, the, the, the weight of this that it bears on our culture can't be ignored. So we're either panicked or we're just ingesting placebos, probably to cope with what's alarming us. Listen, I, I, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, in January of 2019, the average share of adults in this country reporting symptoms of anxiety and depression was 11%. This past January, January 2021, one year or, or two years later, it was 41.1%. Basically, in, in one, one or two years, 30% of people are experiencing anything but peace and stability. And so then we turn to placebos. What are, what, are, what are placebos? They're things that just make you think it's better. We turn to alcohol, pornography, affairs, emotional affairs and physical affairs, gluttony, laziness, any sin that you can think of because sin feels good. In the moment, it's soothing, right? It makes you feel better. My reign and my rule, everything I know is falling apart around me. Let me just soothe it. Let me just, let me just soothe it down with the placebo. It'll be okay. We can get through this. Just, just, just take a little bit. It, it'll be all right. It doesn't do anything. It just provides brief psychological comfort and then, re then it really end up, ends up doing actual real damage more so than it helps later on. You know, we, we laugh at the things on the... Like, the Internet's a pretty funny place. The Internet's a pretty great place for, for humor. And we laugh at the memes and, and the gifs or the gifs. I still don't know how to say that, but whatever it is, we laugh at the someone either taking the whole bottle or the big one, you know, with the whole bottle going into the whole, whole glass of wine. But yet this is a problem. All right, listen, glass of wine, glass of whatever, it's between you and the Lord, and, and, and that's fine. I mean, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus brought out the good wine at the wedding. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the, like the, these are fruits of the vine. These are good things that God has designed and created. A whole bottle of it to get you through the day is not. That's a problem. It's a big problem when rather than face the reality of our lives, we turn to the distorted reality of pornography just to feel better or fulfill the wants and desires of our own minds. That's a problem. Listen, I love a good TV show as much as anybody else. 
But being enveloped into virtual reality to avoid the real life around us is a problem. And I don't care what it is. Coca-Cola, sugar, what, whatever it is, whatever you turn to because you are stressed and you are panicked and, and you just say, I just, I just need to feel better. Listen, that's exactly what Satan wants because Satan's interested in making you feel better. That's exactly what Satan wants. He's not interested in you being better. He just wants you to feel better because here's the thing. I don't even know that placebo is the right word for this stuff because placebos in, sometimes make a difference for people. But what this stuff is, listen, you know Dead people are the ones that we just make feel better. People who we know for the, for the rest of whatever they have time left on this earth, they've got no hope of being better, so we just make them feel better until they're gone. That is what this stuff does to us. That is what this culture drives to us. They just want you to feel better. But that's not what Jesus wants for us. He wants you to be better. Because the truth is, we've all set up our own little thrones and our own little kingdoms in opposition to the rule and to the reign of God. For what does it mean? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, is what Paul writes in Romans, except that we have turned away from God and we have said and chosen to do what is right in our own eyes. That is what we do. We've chosen to set up our own throne with our own rule and reign because we thought we could do things better. Listen, and this is this illustration, and I don't think there's a better one. Matt Chandler talks about this in this message at the Village Church. Husbands, dads, just think about it this way. Say you get home from work, worked a long day, you come home, and there's a guy sitting in your chair, maybe watching your TV, playing with your kids, and you're like, what, what, who are you? What are you doing here? And they said, well, I, I can be a better husband. Like if I were to walk into my house and I, I could be a better husband to Sarah, I can be a better father to to, to Corbett and Beckett. I, I can handle this. Like I can do this better than you. So you can just you, you take off. Husbands, dads, would there not be blood? Would there not be blood? Wives, moms, you walk in, somebody sitting using your whatever young living stuff or you know whatever the. I don't know, my wife's got all kinds of things, but she's sitting in your vanity, you walk in, she's sitting in, in, in wherever your place is, your craft, well, I don't know, all right, I'm not a girl, but I, whatever it is your thing is, and you walk in, and, and, and she says, well, I, I, I can love your man better than you, I can take care of him, I can stand by him better, these kids, they need me, they don't need you, I can do it better than you, tell me the hair's not on the floor. And, we're not playing that game. Somebody comes in and says, I can do what God has trusted you with better than you. It's over. It's over. Somebody comes in in my house and telling me that, I'm telling you what, I'm fighting till one of us isn't standing anymore. That's what we say to God when we say that we're smarter than him, that we can rule this thing. This is my throne, God. I'm taking it. You sit over there until I need you, if I need you. That's what we're saying to God. I can do this better than you. I can take care of these things better than you. So you sit over there. I've got it under control. But fortunately, a good, loving, perfect, holy father, his response isn't like ours. It's not beating somebody senseless. and more like a father in the prodigal son story who waits and waits and waits for his son to get it and just waits for him to return and then wraps him in his arms, kills the fatted calf, throws a huge party because his son that was lost was now found. 
Stop trying to set up your own throne. Because it's going to collapse sooner or later. It's inevitable. Keep your eyes on the ultimate throne. And so we go back to this throne room, and this is what John is now seeing. It's the scripture that we read at the beginning. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open up the scroll and read it. And then began, I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read. No one was worthy. And he, they keep thinking, John's stuck here. And that's where we are we're in this culture. We're stuck. We don't know who is worthy. Who can fix this? Who can get this done? And the elders said to John, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. It's not the image of the lion, though, that comes forth. It's the image that is the most repeated image in the book of Revelation. It's not the conquering Savior. It's not, not the Jesus with the tattoo on his leg that we're going to get to, like slaying people with his words. It's not the lion of Judah. It is the slain lamb. John says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. He came and took the scroll. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. The reason why we are people of peace and stability is because we've been invited into this throne room because of Christ, the lamb that was slain, and he has opened the scroll. And so next week, we're going we're gonna to dive into these scrolls. And, and it's important that you know, though, that one of the things that's contained in it is your invitation into the convergent space, into the kingdom, into the throne room itself. And all you have to do to accept that invitation is just believe. And believing means that we repent of our thrones and kingdoms. Repent of your throne and kingdom and believe in the ultimate one. From this moment of belief, our lives become these little places of continuous convergent space. Continuous because the convergence isn't just reality when singing happens, but when worship happens. Listen to this definition of worship, which harmonizes Paul's words on worship in Romans 12. Worship is an act of attention to the living God who rules, speaks, and reveals, creates, and redeems, orders, and blesses. That's Eugene Peterson again. Worship is an act of attention. My attention is on the throne room. Our attention needs to be on this throne room, on the one who sits upon the throne, on the slain lamb who has opened the scroll. The attention needs to be on this throne, and that's worship. Worship is an everlasting act of attention to the living God in every area of our life. And it recalibrates, it resets every area of our life to be centered on this ultimate reality. And from that emanates peace and stability. So here's the thing. Fix your eyes on this throne. Listen, you want to be a good spouse? You want to be a good husband, be a good wife? Get your eyes on this throne. You want to be good parents? Listen, your kids don't need more activities for you to do with them. They don't need more pumpkin carving. They don't need more organic juice. They don't need anything but for you to get your eyes on this throne. You want to be a good friend? Get your eyes on this throne. You want to be a good worker? You want to be a, a, a value to your, your place of employment? Get your eyes on this throne. Order your attention and your reality around this throne and this room. With your eyes locked here, you're going to start to see yourself as you really are. You are a child 
of God. We are saints. Scripture doesn't, listen, I know we, we live in the South, and that's what the, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. That is not the reality of Scripture. That is not the reality that we are called to. We are called saints in Scripture. That is who we are. We are children of the Most High God. And here's the truth, something that Matt Chandler said. There's a reason you are where you are, and you waste it if your attention and your eyes are not on this throne. Repent of your sin. Repent of your throne. Repent of your little kingdom, which is nothing at all. It's ashes. In the grand scheme of knowing and being a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Repent and fix your attention. Fix your eyes on this throne. To the God who has established his throne, to the lamb who was slain, to Jesus Christ who was able to open the scroll, to him, the four magnificent living creatures say, amen, so be it. Let this be true. And the elders, they fell down and worshiped in that moment. They fell down because they could do nothing else. We too have to reckon with Jesus here. We've got to deal with this. We have to reckon with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We have to work out. We have to settle the issue in our hearts and minds and get our eyes on this throne. It's the only legitimate throne that there is. The only we hope we have in this throne, which is surrounded by all of creation, saying, so be it. You and I, we can't say so be it if we're still setting up our little pathetic thrones and trying to rule our little pathetic kingdoms. Without our eyes on this throne, we're going to be living life, swinging back and forth from freaking out and numbing out, panic and placebos. That is the life that we are bound and marked for. And you can tell me that I'm wrong, but I challenge you to look around this world and look around at people who don't know Jesus Christ and tell me that I'm wrong. Because there is nothing but panic and placebo in this world right now and the people who don't know Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on this throne, and in faith, you then declare it, so be it. So this is what I want to do. I want everyone in this room to close your eyes. I want you to try to picture this throne. Picture this throne. Picture the colors and the lights and and the people around it and the creatures, all of creation declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty was and is and is to come. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. All of this stuff is being lived out in this throne room right now. And I want to ask you this question. Are you trying to rule and reign over your own life? Are you trying to take control? Have you been living in the in-between the in of panic and placebo and just trying to keep an iron fist and rule over your little kingdom and you just haven't been able to get there? And would you like to get off that throne? And if you're in here this morning and that's you with every eye closed in here, I just want you to raise your hand. If that's you this morning, you're like, this is, I've been trying to hold on to this throne. And this is your moment. This is your time. This is an invitation to confess and to repent of that. Now you can open your eyes. So be it. Get your eyes on this throne. And here's the thing that we're about to do. We're going to have a moment now to get our eyes on the throne. We're going to have a moment of convergent space. Heaven and earth are colliding right here in this moment, and we do it every week. It's called communion. 
And so what's going to happen is a little bit of music's going to play, and I want you to take this time. If you've got your elements, hopefully you've got them. You can go ahead and get them ready because we're going to take this together. But now more than ever, I want your eyes to be on that throne. I want you to picture the, the slain lamb who was died for your sins. That's the reason that we come together. There's a reason that we do this every week. It's because our eyes are supposed to be on the throne of Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain. So you're going to have a moment here, about a minute, to be in this convergent space, to be in the presence of God. And, and I hope that you will talk to him, that you will have a real conversation with the Savior who loves you and is calling you. So take that moment now. Take a minute. Reflect and then we'll take this all together. before Jesus died he sat around with the twelve the same twelve that are represented in the throne room of heaven and he broke bread with them he said this is my body it's broken for you and then he took the cup the fruit of the vine and he held it up and he said this is my blood was spilled for you for the forgiveness of your sins and he took and he drank and throughout history from that moment on believers everywhere have gathered together and done that thing and had that moment to reflect upon the slain lamb who died and rose again and is sitting in this throne room of heaven ruling and reigning and so this moment, this convergent space is open now. The altar is open. Whatever you feel led, whatever God is speaking to you. But let us not take our eyes off the throne in this moment. Make this space as convergent. Heaven and earth are going to collide right now as we sing out in one form of worship. And I hope that we carry out the attitude of faith from this place today of so be it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good, loving God, that you are a majestic God, that you are a powerful God, that you have not left creation, that you have not left us to, to struggle and mire in our sin and in our shame and in our pain. And, and you stepped into history. You stepped down into this world to redeem it. God, may our eyes be on your throne. May our hearts be centered around your throne. May our lives be aligned with your throne so much that heaven and earth are colliding all around us. And may it be for your glory and to your praise 
and so that many would come to know this same Savior and get their eyes on this throne. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you. And you have a family at Eastridge Church.